Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. While he walked on this earth, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. Well, they look good on the outside, but the inside, nothing but dead men's bones. Now that is what's being accused of the church at Sardis, as we'll see next. Join us. You're looking good on the outside, you're doing all the right moves, but the inside, oh my goodness, there's a real issue. And that's exactly what happened here as we continue our look at the seven letters to the seven churches. The church at Sardis, you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Sound familiar? Well, there's a lot we can learn from this passage as we continue our series on the seven letters to the seven churches. Welcome to Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church right here in San Jose. Join us, won't you? Again, you can find your place in Revelation chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Here's Pastor Gary, today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Revelation chapter 3, the seven churches, part 4. Let me start out today by telling you something about the city of Sardis. Because knowing about the various cities where these churches were located helps us understand some of the things that Jesus says in his letters. Sardis, the city, was a very wealthy commercial center. But it had loose morals. And it was in moral decay. It was a cocky, overconfident, careless, easy-living society, apathetic toward threats and dangers. It had Caesar worshipers there and also several mystery cults. One of the reasons that it was so overconfident and easygoing was because it was perched on a high, steep, well-protected hill that would protect it from any kind of opposing armies. But because of its carelessness, because of its failure to keep watch and be vigilant, because of its overconfidence concerning its supposed impregnable situation, it was literally conquered twice. And it should have never been conquered at all. And it was conquered twice in similar ways. They didn't even repair what caused their defeat in the first place. And the church at Sarda was much like the city. Synthesis had taken place, a lot of compromise with the culture, and it had lost its difference, its antithesis from the rest of the world. Now, Jesus says two things about himself in this letter. He said, he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this. Now, to understand part of that symbolism, we've got to go back again to chapter 1, this time to verse 20. 
He said, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels or the messengers or preachers of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So the two things Jesus says about himself here are very pertinent for Sardis as well as for us. He holds two things in his hands. He holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars who are the seven preaching elders, the representatives of the congregations in those seven churches. Now, what are the seven spirits? Well, the New American Standard Bible interprets it with a capital S, spirits with a capital S. The Greek really didn't capitalize much. But here they are trying to let you know that whatever the symbolism means, it has reference to the Holy Spirit of God. The number seven was a very special number. It had a lot of significance. It symbolized fullness, perfection of power, perfection of activity. In fact, in the minds of some, the reason it was such a special number was because it was made up of two other significant numbers. The number four, which is the number of the earth, north, south, east, and west. And the number three, which is the number for our triune God. That is symbolizing here our creator and his creation. But whether they understood that or not, to speak of the Holy Spirit as the seven spirits, of course, we cannot take it literally. So here is one of those verses that shows that even though every word in the book of Revelation is true, not every one of the words in the book of Revelation is literally true. There are not nine persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and the seven spirits. The word seven is a figure of speech. It implies fullness and perfection of power. So it is the fullness and perfection of the power of the Holy Spirit that is held in the hand of the resurrected, exalted Christ. So what is the point? The point is that the Holy Spirit is bestowed by Christ and is not active apart from Christ. In the first and second chapters of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, directly after the Lord Jesus had ascended, he fulfills the promise that both he and John the Baptist said was about to happen. He baptized the church with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So we speak of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as that which took place on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago, when the Lord Jesus Christ was raised to the right hand of God and poured out His Holy Spirit upon all flesh in His church. You can see, I'm sure, the connection here. The Holy Spirit and all of His perfection is in the hand of the exalted Christ. There is no separation. There is no light between them. The Son of God and the Spirit of God have a oneness of will, a oneness of purpose, 
a oneness of perfection and of ministry in the redemption of the church. And they are the same in present, presence, yet distinct in persons. There's a verse I want us to look at in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. You don't need to turn there. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And the, Lord, the word Lord here is referring to Christ. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So what does it mean when it says the Lord is the Spirit? Well, it's not to say that there are just two persons in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, dash Spirit, because the Spirit is the Spirit of the Lord. He is the Spirit of Christ. There are three persons, but the point is that their ministry, their activity is so one and so united that where one is, there is the other. Where the Holy Spirit is, there is Christ. And where Christ is, there is the Holy Spirit. Their presence is the same, though they are distinct in person. They have one will, one goal, one purpose, no division between them. Now that needs to be emphasized today among modern evangelicals because of two heresies that have plagued the church for years. One for several hundred years, and one for maybe about a hundred years or a little more. The name of the first you may have never heard of, but that's okay, most people haven't. It's called Amaraldiism. And several great people that I'm sure you have heard of were Amaraldians. One was Bishop John Ryle. And I love many of the things that John Ryle has taught. Another was Richard Baxter. And another was Archbishop Usher. Now evangelicals have, in large, taken upon themselves this particular heresy. And I think you'll see it's a heresy when I finish. It says that there is a division in the Trinity. Now, I'm going to oversimplify it a bit so that you can really see the true problem here. But they believe that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have two different goals in redemption. That it was the goal of Jesus to die on the cross for everyone in the whole wide world without exception. That is what all non-reformed evangelicals actually believe. That Jesus died for everyone in the whole world without exception, but not everyone is going to be saved without exception. Because the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to save the elect. Now, do you see the problem there? The purpose of Jesus is to die to save everyone in the whole world. The purpose of the Holy Spirit, they say, is to save only the elect. So there you have a crack between the two, between Christ and the Holy Spirit. There is not complete unity here between Christ and the Holy Spirit. 
Or you could put it in these words, that the resurrected Christ does not hold the seven spirits in his hand. Of course, Christ for and the Holy Spirit brings to salvation only to God's elect. Jesus did not die to save the whole world. Then there's another false teaching that we call Pentecostalism or the charismatic movement that centers specifically on the Holy Spirit. And they say he is the author of new experiences and new revelations apart from the biblical revelation of Christ. In many areas of Pentecostalism and the charismatic movement, the emphasis is far more on the Holy Spirit than it is on Christ. So so once again, you see a little crack between Christ and the Spirit. But when it comes to their oneness, beloved, we must be ruthless in defending that unity between the second and third person of the Trinity, no matter who we have to correct. Any break between them is literally a destruction of the Trinity, for there is only one God, and He is the Holy Trinity. So it's a very important statement for Jesus to say that he holds the power of the Holy Spirit in his hand. It shows this oneness between the two. But now, the second thing it says about Christ is that he holds the seven stars in his hands, the seven preachers, the representatives of these seven churches. So here again, you see a connection, which you see throughout the New Testament, between the Holy Spirit and the preaching of the Word of God. That the preaching of the Word of God has absolutely no effect without the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's primary method of saving sinners and sanctifying saints is by the preaching of the Word of God. As our larger catechism says, the reading of the Word of God is important, but especially is the preaching of God important. So there is this inseparable connection between the preaching of the Word of God, these seven stars, these seven preachers he holds in his hand, and the activity of the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, after all, what is the Word of God called? by Paul, preached in the book of Ephesians. It is called the sword of the Spirit, which is, of course, the Word of God. And he was talking about the Word of God he preached to them. So here you see another unity in Scripture, a unity between the Spirit and the Word. So watch out for any movement in the church that separates the two that says all you need is the Holy Spirit, or that says all you need is the Word of God. The attitude that all you need is the Holy Spirit produces a fanaticism and an irrational approach to Christianity. The idea that all you need is the Word of God and very little of the Holy Spirit of God produces an icy cold intellectual approach to Christianity. And just as there is no break between the Son of God and the Spirit of God, 
there can be and must not be a break between the word of God and the preaching of it on one hand and the power of the Holy Spirit on the other. There is an inseparable unity between the two. To say the resurrected Christ has these stars, these preachers who are representatives of the church, and they take the messages that Christ gives them to the church, is to say that the leadership of the church is under Christ's sovereign control. That the churches are objects of Christ's sovereign control. That Christ rules over his churches. They should not, they must not ever be governed by the changing whims and fancies of men and women. The Lord Jesus Christ alone determines the life and the doctrine and the discipline and the government, the worship and the mission of the church. And it is our faithfulness to this doctrine of the headship of Christ that will save churches like ours from two kinds of tyranny. Now, besides the political tyranny that we live under, churches today are usually tyrannized by certain things. And it is because many have never even heard about the headship of Christ over the church, the exclusive headship of Christ. They have no idea that Christ has sovereign control over the leadership and the entire life of the church And as a result, there are usually two kinds of tyranny that arise in these churches which faithfulness to the headship of Christ can help the church avoid. The first is human tyranny. The tyranny of man in the church. Some powerful preacher or a group of people that forces man-made rules and regulations on the church. Even though those man-made rules and regulations are not to be found in Scripture, in evangelical churches in this country, they add to the Word of God so that they can seem to be more spiritual and more godly. There are to this very day, many in fact, churches that require total abstinence of any alcoholic beverages from their leaders and frown upon it from their members. Abstinence of liquor is not a command in the Bible. That is a command that is superimposed by men on the church because it's thought to be good for the church not to do it. It doesn't matter. It is tyranny. Whenever the church has rules and regulations or liturgies or rites and rituals that originate with man, then that church is under the tyranny of man. It is under human tyranny. It is not being faithful to the headship of Christ. And the headship of Christ can save us from that human tyranny. But there's a second kind of tyranny in many evangelical churches today, and that is mystic tyranny. Mystic tyranny that says... Basically, forget the written laws of the Bible. That's just too legalistic sounding. Just allow the spirit from within to direct the church. 
and to direct the members of the church. You know, you just fill yourself up with the Holy Spirit and he will be the hand and you the glove and he will direct the church from within by warm feelings, and by feeling of certainty and things like that in the heart. That's another kind of tyranny. If someone comes to you and says, the Lord told me that we should do this. Oh, I, I didn't literally hear a voice, but the Lord pressed something on my heart the other day. Well, there is no way to criticize something like that effectively, except to say the Lord doesn't speak verbally to anyone anymore in some tiny inner voice or any other way except by his written word. The Lord hasn't said anything to anyone for 2,000 years because to say such a thing is to criticize the Bible. Whereas the Bible is the voice of the Holy Spirit and it is so complete a revelation of the will of God for our lives that we need no further voices or words from God about His will. Everything we need to know about His will is in the pages of this book. So there is a mystic tyranny today. And think about this. How often does it happen in the church that someone says, well, the Lord told me I should do this, and I really think we should do it. I really feel definitely led that we should do this in the church. They make a distinction between feeling and truly being led by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. That is too entirely different things. So if you don't emphasize and are not faithful to the headship of Christ, the church will come under tyranny, either human tyranny or mystic tyranny. And both of those heresies deprive Christians of their freedom in Christ. And they rob the church of effective service to God. All right, that is the identity of the one who, was sent, who has sent this letter. He holds the seven spirits and the seven stars in his hands. Second in all of the letters so far, there were commendations. Remember? He says something good about all of them. Not here. That in itself says a thousand words. Jesus commends these other churches, but he has no words of commendation for the church at Sardis. But he does have some complaints, and we're going to look at those. It says in verse 1, He who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars says this, I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So he starts out by saying, I know the reality of your situation. You can't fool me. You see, Jesus sees behind the masks and behind the facades and behind the false professions of faith. The spiritual decay and the spiritual deadness of the church in Sardis was not outwardly observable by man, but it was clear as a bell to Christ. The problem I have with you, church, is that you are dead. 
Now, this spiritual deadness, everyone but Christ thought the church of Sardis was a great church. People in the city, the church leaders, everyone thought Sardis was a great church. It looked alive. Only Jesus realized it was spiritually dead. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, post mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found again at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. (music) 